Hey everyone and welcome to DCI number 33. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk with Leal Leibowitz, who's a author and game design professor, and he recently wrote a book called God from the Machine. It's a book that explores gaming and spirituality. It's set to come out uh, sometime in March, and it sounds really, really fascinating. Uh, we had a great conversation with him, and uh, unfortunately the Skype quality is not great. Uh, and I do apologize for that. Uh, unfortunately, there was some issues with his mic on the other end, so it doesn't sound as great as it could. Uh, I tried to do some editing and ended up making it worse. So this is our Skype conversation in the raw. And uh, again, apologize for the, the the quality, but I ask you to stick with it because the conversation that we had is, is great. He's a really bright dude when it comes to this sort of stuff. So hope you enjoy the podcast. If you want to find out more information about Dark Station, you can do that at darkstation.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are darkstation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, we're the Dark Cast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And uh, finally, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. And if you want to find out more information about Leo Leibowitz or uh, God from the Machine, then you can check out the links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thanks for listening. Now on with the show. joining us on the podcast here today, Leo. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Good to hear. Good to hear. I understand that you just put some little ones down to sleep. I did. You know, it's it's that it's that false magical hour in which you have a sort of like 20 minutes uh, just after you put your kids to bed, but just before you started all the 110 other things that you have to do, mm. like wash bottles and clean the house and, you know, feed yourself and pretend you have a life and there's a 20 minute lull there that's like super inspiring because you feel like you actually are a grown adult human being that's that's not a lot of time to feel like you're a grown adult human being (laughs) it's not a lot of time at all You, I you, can attest to that personally. <laughs> you can, right? I mean, I'm I'm not the only yeah. one who feels like that. You, you, no, no. There's there's definitely there's a there's a wonderful lull once they go to bed where when they've actually fallen asleep that you can almost hear the house breathe. <laughs> and the moment the moment you kind of pick up on that, there you get the little rattling in the back of the head that's like, all right, you have this much time before you need to go Absolutely. to bed so you can be up in the morning. I need to get stuff done. Yeah. The house breathes a collective sigh of relief. Yep. And then and then and then the countdown begins. Yep. It's like I don't know if you saw uh, uh, Pacific Rim uh, last summer with the the monsters and the robots. I sure did. No, oh, yeah, they that countdown timer. I relate to that <laughs> so much, and it gets it seems like it gets shorter and shorter every time. Before a category five kaiju of. <laughs> Fives at you and in my house we call him Killian, but yes. Like... <laughs> Fantastic. Speaking of which, there, there's there's a death rattle in the background that is a laundry machine that I can do nothing about for which I apologize That's... sincerely. 
I was I was hoping you weren't testing, uh, you know, like machine pistols while we were talking, but that's or, that's or, fine. Or, we'll deal with or it. new devices to keep the kids quiet. Now it's, yes. <laughs> it's bad and old washing machine that you I can't hear them it. when they're in the washing machine. That's the sad. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in there right now. That's right. That's that's the rattling. That's what's going on. <laughs> how many how many spins until they're silent is is what what I'm trying to ascertain. This podcast got really dark, really fast. It's, it's usually like towards the end that we get to this point, but we're, we're just going straight for the goal. Oh, no, no, I, I intend to do it much, much, much worse. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, I guess uh, to, to get away from uh, you know kids and washing machines, if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and what you do. Sure. Uh, by the way, can, can you hear me? Is the rattle too bad? Uh, should I s- try and switch rooms? I'm. I'm. Oh no, no, no! You're good. You're good. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I am. Um, and and you know, seven old, seven year old me is still so thrilled to hear us say this. I'm a uh, a professor of video games at New York University. Okay. Uh, which which I'm still trying to kind of you know get a grip on. Um, I did, um, I, I finished, you know, college, kind of didn't really have a good idea of what I wanted to do with life. I uh, knew that I didn't want to work because that's, you know, work. Yeah. Uh, so uh-huh. went to a, a doctoral program uh, in communications, which seemed like a good way to kind of convince the whole world to be off your back for a few years uh, while you kind of, you know, took a breath and, and did something else other than go to an office. And, and when I did that, I, I sort of, which I really kind of did a little bit on a lark, but then I kind of realized that the timing for my actual passion, uh, which is has always been video games, is actually really, really great because all of a sudden this field that, you know, had some scholarship, but most scholarship was along the lines of, you know, is does this cause violence? Is this very bad for children? Like this kind of really silly questions asked mostly by people who've never picked up a controller in their entire lives but just thought this is a cool topic to write about for my career all of a sudden there was some sort of shift because kind of you know natives people people like myself people who grew up playing games began getting into these positions in in doctoral programs and 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 you know assistant professorships and started producing this really incredible line of research and really incredible journals really incredible conferences so so as soon as i realized that was a possibility uh, i i jumped right on it and and did um finish my my dissertation um about the title which is you know still kind of baffles me uh, is is the ontology of video games the idea being you know why do people play uh, and how do video games differ as a medium from other media like say television um and then was lucky enough to get a, a teaching gig at NYU. Awesome. That is that's completely awesome. I'm still dealing with the fact that you know that we you know we were able to talk to people and stuff like this and uh, and get that so to to hear that somebody's actually made a, a very professional career out of this that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, it, I I think first of all, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm completely into it, but, but I actually think it's, it's more than, you know, just personally fantastic to me. I actually think it's supremely important, um, because here's this medium that so many people play and that so many people are so passionate about. And really we know next to nothing, uh, you know, by no, I mean, no factually, intelligently, intellectually, uh, uh, researchly, empirically, 
Um, so, so I really think that that the kind of work that's being done is is tremendous because the more we understand this medium, the better off we will be. The better off the medium will be. The better off our relation with the medium would be. It's it's just something that's like all around good to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, did you uh, did you take your, take headphones, your headphones off? off? Yeah. Okay, because I can hear us talking on your end. Uh, is there? Can you put those back on? Or sure thing. Hold okay. on. Better. Um. Yes. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um. So sorry about that. And the uh, washing stops. So we we have we're very close to redemption. <laughs> Um, so can you, uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the other, uh, I believe you've written a couple of other books, uh, just to kind of give you, you know, a little more background on, on you and what you've done before we jump into God and the Machine. Sure. Well, you know, my other books are sort of very, uh, erratic. I, I really believe that this whole trend of, you know, young people, uh, aspiring to careers is noble, but somewhat deathly boring. I think you should always pursue the things that interest you. And so in that fashion, my books are so extremely all over the place. There's one about um, immigration of American Jews to Israel. There's one about uh, the most famous song from World War II that united the fighting men of the German, French, American, English, uh, and Italian armies. Uh, There is a brief history uh, of the first group of Chinese students to study in American universities. Um, and there is a book about America, Israel, and, and the idea of divine election. And there's also a brand new one coming out in April about Leonard Cohen, who is a singer I admire very deeply. Um, and so eclectic, uh, but hopefully somewhat interesting. Yeah, that's both very eclectic and, and interesting. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what was the song? Uh, Lily Marlin. It's I, I got it because Leonard Cohen mentioned it uh, in a song. I was like, oh, what's what's that song? And then you hear it, and it's this weird German song, and you think to yourself, okay, well, why was this popular with British soldiers? You know, how how would a, how would a German song be popular with you know the enemy? And and the more I kind of started digging into the story, you realize that this was this was a song that was recorded. It was written by this by this um, corporal. Uh, who was a poet uh, during World War One, and it's kind of an innocent song about a young woman who's waiting for her lover, the soldier, to come back from the war, and it's this kind of song that you only write really early on in wars when you're still sure that, ah, you know, this is just going to take a few months and we'll all be reunited. So, uh, it's written as a poem in World War One, composes a song just before World War II, uh, is immediately banned by the Nazis because it was like the most a Nazi uh, song ever. It didn't have any, you know, sort of like thundering, powering, you know, power chords and, and words like, you know, Hitler's our leader. It was just a smooth little sentimental love song. Uh, but through a, a complete chance, uh, you know, this, this one soldier uh, was on leave and he was supposed to bring um, records back to the, the military radio station he served in, the Nazi military radio station he served in, and he had done nothing of the sort because he spent his entire 
I leave with his girlfriend. And literally on his way back uh, home from vacation, he stopped at a friend of his and said, you know, do you have any records for me? And the friend was like, yeah, here are a bunch of records banned by the Nazis. Good luck to you. Like, they're worthless. And he takes all these records and he goes back home and his commanding officer is like, are you fucking kidding me? These, these are worthless. You know, this, I can't play any of these. But he puts these, this one song on and almost immediately um, he gets, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of letters and, and realizes that this song has become an anthem. And, and there are these amazing stories about, you know, it would be broadcast on this radio station, Radio Belgrade, which is controlled by the Nazis, every day at 9.57 p.m., just before combat, uh, just before uh, the radio broadcast ended for the day. And we have all these accounts uh, from, from men who actually fought the war that every day at 9.57, no matter what, all fighting would stop. You know, Nazis and Americans and Brits and Italians and French would just lay down their arms and for three minutes sort of lie down in their trenches and sort of all listen to this song. Um, it was fun. And, and we met some, you know, wacky, amazing people on both sides uh, who, who had fought in the war and shared our recollections. It was, it was supreme. That's awesome. I used bad words, by the way. Should I not use bad words? No, no, no. That's fine. that's totally fine. <laughs> that's fucking. Uh, we we are a uh, a, a podcast for uh, adults. It's not for the, for the people. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, we're you're totally good. Um, although there is a little bit of feedback uh, on your microphone. I don't know if something might be brushing against the microphone or something. Uh, how about now? Uh, no. <laughs> not not good. It, yeah, it almost sounds kind of like you're eating the microphone, so... Um, it, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finally, my secret is revealed. Uh, my exclusive microphone died. Uh, I've, I've moved away a little bit. Does this help? Um, it, it doesn't sound as good as it did earlier, but, I mean, you sound okay. I'm not getting the, that feedback, so that's, I guess, better. Wait, so. One more thing. How about this? Uh, can you talk a little bit more? Uh, yeah, uh, I am now sort of holding the computer in, in, a, in an oh. elevated position. Computer's <laughs> <laughs> doing a downward dog type of situation. Is this, is this better? Uh, yeah, it's it's better. Um, uh, sorry about that. I... No worries whatsoever. I'm, I'm holding it. I'm I'm clutching it next to my heart. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, at least we know this podcast is dear to you. Yes. Um, so, um, so what about uh, God and the Machine? What's, what is that book about? So something really um, kind of both weird and amazing started happening to me towards the end of, um, of, of my you know, dissertation, which is, I started thinking about what is it that I really loved about video games, other than the obvious, you know, the whole catalog of awesome that we could all, you know, mouth off at, at any point. And, 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 and this, is, this is how I started thinking about it. The kind of research that I would do is, you know, I would play for hours and hours and sort of document myself playing and, and, and videotape myself playing. I'd watch people playing and ask them questions as they played. But, but, but this is kind of how I, I got to see it. Um, here we are, uh, playing a game. We have to interact uh, with a world governed by a set of rules that we don't totally understand, uh, designed by some higher being uh, who we will never meet. Um, and 
we are dealing with an environment uh, that is completely predetermined because it's algorithmic uh, and, and it has a very strict order for it, but yet at the same time, we have a lot of uh, free will to determine what it is that's happening, uh, and there are all kinds of issues of death and reincarnation and actions and, and consequences, and, and the play itself is extremely trance-like. And at some point, I just kind of, you know, there was, there was an epiphany moment, but at some point I just found myself thinking, huh, you know, you're talking about religion. This is, this is precisely the type of questions and the type of emotional uh, uh, allowances that, that uh, makes religion the powerful, uh, all-encapsulating thing that it is. <clears throat> and, and the more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that... There was something deeply spiritual about gameplay. Uh, it was not intellectual. Uh, it was not even cognitive. Uh, it was truly and deeply, and I mean this in, in the in the in the literal sense of of the word, not in the you know new agey yani sense. Of <laughs> word. Uh, there's something spiritual about it. Um, and and once you kind of see it that way, uh, I I think you you can never unsee it. Uh, and so I became really really obsessed with was looking into that idea. And I wrote this book, which is, you know, wildly imperfect uh, and, and probably completely wrong. Uh, but, but it was an attempt to ask these questions and to try and think about, about some of these issues uh, in a more serious, uh, more methodical way. So is it, um, is it kind of you... The I guess just the the progression of the book and kind of how it's it's laid out is it you talking about different uh, relationships between spirituality and video games or kind of um, video games as a, a mode or um, you know a experience of spirituality like what kind of what all kinds of, of things do you uh, talk about? I had a real dilemma when I started working on this book. Uh, about this exact question that you asked, you know, how how will I structure this? And 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 here's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to write this kind of you know dumbass uh, feel good book that you know would say something like, please, you're more and more human being. Like that to me would just be disrespectful. Uh, uh, partly because it's sensationalistic, and partly because you know it isn't true. What's 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 so intoxicating, uh, I think, about this idea is that it is a very vague uh, uh, and still developing notion. And, and I wanted to give readers this, this sense of discovery rather than, than lay some sort of, you know, professorial lecture from above. So, so I, I, did, I, did, I have four chapters in it, and they're really, you could read them and, and, and decide that they really have very little to do with one another, and you could read them, hopefully, and decide that they sort of all are different angles at, at the same thesis that I just shared with you. The first uh, is a very, very, very detailed um, phenomenology of, of gameplay. Uh, this is, this is a, a methodology that uh, I wish more and more scholars used. Uh, you know, sometimes scholars have this, uh, I think, really, really uh, horrible idea that if you write about something that you experience yourself, it's not scientific. Uh, you, you could only, you know, you could only say something with certainty about something 
if you observe it, you know, through kind of like 14 different filters, uh, which is why so much of academic writing is so absolutely fucking atrocious. Uh, and, and phenomenology is here to change that. It's here to say, okay, uh, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to observe myself really, really, really carefully doing it. So I played Twilight Princess um, and, and observed myself extremely carefully doing it uh, and observed um, all kinds of, of really, really interesting uh, processes. I, I'll give you one example, which is, which is probably the, mo- the most kind of you know, aha uh, of all of them. And, and I say this with like a million grains of salt because I don't want it to come off sounding like this is an imperial exper- experiment, uh, empirical experiment, uh, and, and it sounds something out uh, that is, you know, d- d- sort of like the determined uh, definitive version. So I kind of had the sense that, uh, that this is a trance-like experience. Uh, if it is indeed a trans-like experience, that then uh, it stands to reason that narrative progression matters far less than time. Uh, you know, you're you're in a trance, uh, and you're not necessarily able to kind of you know coherently follow a story. So the experiment was as follows: I, I would sit myself, and I then repeated the experiment with with about sixty-eight, seventy other people, um, and I play for five-hour stretches uh, at a time. I would then have a, a research assistant interrupt me in various stages throughout the play. Um, some of the stages were really kind of high contact um, moments, you know, in the middle of a big fight or in some sort of like really kind of intense moment in the plot. And others were sort of like, you know, you're, you're riding Epona the horse, you're fucking around trying to, you know, whack these, the, the grass and find some rubies. You know, you're just doing those kind of normal shit that you do in Legend of Zelda games just to pass the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time the research assistant interrupted, I had him ask me a series of, of very light mathematical questions uh, just to make sure that my cognitive faculties were completely taken away from the game because I had to do, you know, light math. Uh, and then I had him uh, measure the ease of my uh, re-immersion into the game with means that I have to admit were, you know, were really kind of deeply flawed. Uh, it, it, things like uh, eye movement, uh, body twitching, things like uh, coherence uh, of, of, of play, things like, you know, how well I did. Um, and, and here's what I found. Without exception, um, you could have interrupted me in the midst of the most amazing high adrenaline battle uh, against, you know, one of those skeletons, whatever you call those giant spiders, 20 minutes into the game. Uh, and it would take me almost no time to get right back into it. You could have interrupted me just walking around some dungeon four and a half hours into the game, and it would have been nearly impossible for me to get right back into it. Uh, time alone was a function of my immersion in the game. Plot had almost nothing to do with it. It, it, it almost did not matter. Hmm. Um, so, so the longer, the, in essence, the longer you were there, the easier it was for you to, to get taken away from it. Yes, and the harder it was to get back into it. Uh, and, and, and I sort of hoped to find that. I uh, didn't expect to find it quite so you know, across the board as I did. By the way, I, I then bolted it with, with another um, experiment that I don't actually know that I talk about in the book, but um, I had players um, 
describe to me uh, in detail the last video game they played and the last uh, uh, movie they watched uh, within the last month, and then measure the accuracy uh, and and the and the completeness of of plot points um, according to again an imperfect set of standards and. And almost without exception, found out that you could talk about a movie you watched three weeks ago, you'd remember the plot with, you know, good to great accuracy. Uh, you talk about a game that you played three weeks ago, and most people gave descriptions that were so incredibly shoddy that at some point we, we actually, you know, we had to like Google key terms because like you, you didn't really know anything. Like, someone said, lipstick something it's like are you talking about hard drink like what what are, what are we what are we talking about here um and and so just this kind of attempt to get into what's actually happening to you when you play so this chapter is about skill acquisition it's about how your body reacts to play it's about you know how you kind of go from from a very cognitive experience to an experience that's almost completely driven by muscle memory you know like great basketball players don't even have to look at the court. They just know where their teammates are. So this is, this is chapter one. Um, chapter two is a lot about uh, design and interactivity. It, it, it takes issue with the point uh, that video games are an interactive medium, uh, which, you know, to me, by definition, uh, the fact that they are, to, to the extent that they are an interaction with anything, they're an interaction with a fairly closed algorithmic system that actually allows for far less you know, genuine uh, give and take if you look at any other definition of, of interactivity uh, and what that means and, and how designers use all kinds of tools to get over this this problem, uh, which brings us, you know, into fairly thick theological territory because, you know, one of, one of these big uh, design, abstract design tools is something called intention. You know, it's, it's, it's giving, and forgive me if I'm sort of stating the obvious here, but it's, it's sort of giving the player uh, a feeling that he or she discovered the correct solution by themselves, even though there's only one correct solution. Um, that's, that's kind of how, you know, good religions are built. You know, you don't tell someone, listen, you can't go left, you can't go right, you only go straight, and then there'll be a Nazi, then you'll shoot the Nazi, then you'll win the game. Because then you'll be like, that's not a good game. That's, that's a chore. You know, that's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be like, okay, well, you know, go explore this field. Uh, again, to get back to the Legend of Zelda, you know, there are all these dungeons and, and I think, where is this? Uh, one of them, um, probably more than one of them have this thing, like, you know, there are three spiders and you have to kill them in a certain order. Uh, according of time, I think it is, right? You, you kill, like, three, then one, then two. Um, yeah, the, try- uh, the, the, the puzzle in the forest. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. I know what you're talking about. Okay. So you, you can try and kill them, you know, any which way you want. There's only one correct answer. But if, if the game came to you, be like, please kill Spider 3, you know, please kill Spider 1, or please kill Spider 2, you'd be like, this is no fun. This is an adult telling me to do something. I, I don't want to do it. Uh, the game kind of lets you experiment. And, and when you finally hit on the correct order, of which, again, there's only one, you feel a sense of tremendous achievement. You feel... You know, you feel like you've exercised your sense of agency and you see will, and it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of moment um, of achievement. So this is chapter two. Chapter three, uh, and I'll make this brief, uh, is about cheating. Uh, it's about how video games discover cheating as a tremendous design tool uh, to sort of even out the playing field, you know, give, give, give lesser players uh, reason to stay in the game or the ability to stay in the game, give better players 
something to do beyond the challenges of the game itself and, and all the moral implications thereof because, you know, I would, I would interview uh, players uh, and they would say something like, yeah, I cheat and I feel really, really horrible about it. I use cheats and I, I feel really dirty. And then you would say, hey, you know that there's no such thing as a cheat in a video game, right? Because unless you are an electrical engineer who knows how to, you know, weld open your Xbox and change the motherboard and, like, really get into the machine, all you're doing is interacting with something that the designer had very purposely installed into the software. And all the gamers would say, yeah, I totally know this. And yet I feel really, really bad. So uh, my observation there, this is like, this may sound silly, but it's almost like, you know, they're forcing you to do something that you interpret as, as being morally wrong as a way to get your engagement with the game far deeper. It's almost like, you know, this, this mafia movie cliche, like the way you become a member of the mob is like you have to go out and kill a guy. And if you commit a murder for the mob, you then kind of cement your relationship with your family. Um, so there are all kinds of like really interesting, bizarre, far out uh, implications around this whole question of cheating. And so these are the first three chapters, and the fourth uh, goes completely bonkers. Uh, it is it it looks at uh, uh, Heidegger, uh, and it looks at uh, a lot of Christian theology, especially Augustine, and and tries to build this sort of 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 theology of video games, which is based on the idea that, you know, unlike television, uh, it doesn't require a human subject that sort of sits at a distance and interprets the events on screen according to some sort of intellectual uh, capacity, but rather it requires someone who's deeply immersed in the world, is part of the world, is acting in the world, is suffering the consequences of the world, is, 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 is uh, overcoming the obstacles of the world, uh, and doing so in this, in this, again, ritualistic, trance-like way, uh, all the while accepting that, that you're really just, um, just a pawn in someone else's game. Uh, and so it ends on this really uh, wild and, and uncertain note, and it's meant really, uh, I, I cannot say this so often enough, it really is meant as a sort of a thought exercise and a provocation and as a kind of um, beachhead towards a, a further line of thinking rather than, than an attempt to say something definitive about the subject. It's almost more of like a, a, a thought exercise. Like, you know, if if we step back and we look at it this way, this is how close, you know, the, these things that we deal with on an everyday basis um, kind of kind of match and kind of uh, sync in their own way are built th the same kind of way that these that these other things are built on. It's almost like they like it's unconsciously built that way. Right. Uh, you, well, I know that unconsciously. Um... But it's not just the way it's built, it's, it's also the experience. You know, the, the, really, the, the, the whole kind of like large purpose of this book, and I don't know if you guys, you know, run into it, but if you're, if you're, if you're a video game guy, at some point, you're going to run, uh, you know, people are going to give you shit. People are going to be like, oh, you know, you, you do this. This is, this is, it's mindless, it's unintelligent, it's dumb, it's a waste of time. I've oh, yeah. been hearing that ever since I was five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why aren't you reading books? I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm not that dumb. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm doing something that's not just mindless because I know what it feels like. And it feels far more profound than just some sort of like, you know, this is not the feeling uh, that you get 
when you look at internet porn, right? When you look at internet porn, <laughs> you realize right away I'm doing something that has absolutely fucking zero redeeming value here. I'm just doing something that's titillating. It has only one purpose. I could do it for about half an hour, and then I feel disgusting. Uh, and video games are not like it. You know, you could do it for four or five days, and often you feel elated. Like, the first time I finished Shadow of the Colossus, you know, I felt dazed. I, I was completely on a different plane of being. Like, I felt like someone who just returned from, like, sitting as a zen on the mountaintop for a week. Um, and and I, I wanted to write the book, and I, I want to do this kind of research, because I want to get deeper and deeper into what this feeling really is and what it really means. And, and again, I have this inkling, which may be complete horseshit, but that, that this is something that has to do with your soul rather than with your mind or with your body. Hmm. It's really neat. It's a, it's a real, like, it's a different way of, uh, of kind of looking at that. Mm-hmm. And especially when you take such a, such a, such a clear, well, no, no. God, clears the wrong word, but such a deep kind of uh, like abiding look at it. It just uh, kind of it, almost trying to break it down past its essence into just into just its parts, just to see what it all means. And and it both becomes personal and then oddly like oddly like foreign almost. Right. Oh, and and and, and that's the point in the research and and in the. And in and, and the writing, that was the most amazing, because you play, you know, I've been playing Zelda games since Zelda games started. You know, this is like a huge part of my life. And, and here I am tasked with, 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 with kind of like glancing, you know, casting this critical glance at this thing. And there's a point when I just sat back, and it, this is really kind of like a shovel play. I just looked at the game, I was like, holy fuck, this is a completely foreign game. I don't know what I'm doing. And then the next response, like, what do you mean? Like, you've been playing this for the last, what, 20 odd years. Um, but when you really step aside and start thinking about it, you see this whole new layer uh, to, this, to this medium you so deeply love. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this. And, and, and I, want, I want the messiness to come through. I, I want the kind of, you know, weird, wild, wrong. Uh, you know, un, 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 untidy um, aspect uh, of the discovery to come in, and 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 and, and, and I, I wrote I wrote the book that way. I, I didn't want a tidy book that sort of you know explains it to you if you've never held a controller. I, I wanted a book for people who uh, have gone through what I've gone through, uh, and and who who want some sort of again. I think beachhead is a, is a pretty good metaphor uh, into into this into this line of thinking. Awesome. That's um, I I really have no idea where to go from here on on asking you questions because my my brain is just going in many many different directions right now. Um, I, I guess that's good. That's kind of yeah yeah. It's like the, the the point. Like I don't even need to read the book now. You you've, don't uh, say that. Don't, don't go that way. Yeah, but there's still two chapters he hasn't talked about. We, we that need is to read true. the book. Yes. Um. But I talked uh, about all the chapters. They're, they're only oh, did you? Okay, <laughs> I, I, I missed the numbers. It's a hundred and something pages. Again, I, I, I don't, I don't want anyone to to work hard. And, and let me tell you something that that you know, if my publisher is listening, they probably despise me for saying it. I, I care less about people actually reading the book than I do about. And this is why I love this conversation about 
thinking about this idea. The, the book is a stepping stone. You know, the book is a stepping stone into something that I hope would be a larger movement. Uh, and and we're planning. Uh, this may be too soon to announce. I don't even have a date yet. But in, in the next month or so, um, to do a sort of uh, of a of a jam of a game design jam based around you know uh, the the notion of God. Which, which we define as, as broadly and as widely and as abstractly as possible. You know, we want designers to come in and be like, okay, 48 hours, the idea's got, design, design a game that, that, you know, helps you think about this idea better. Um, I, I really want us to, to start changing this conversation um, because I am so incredibly fucking tired uh, of telling of, of people what I do and absolutely... Unavoid, unavoidable next question that I will hear as soon as anyone hears that I'm a video game professor would have to do with guess it, it will have to do with violence oh, yeah. and you know, when, I, when yeah. I hear that yeah. I just like I can't it's like all the wind you know going out of my sails it's like it's like being knocked out it's, it's so tedious it's so uninteresting I, I really want I really want a deeper and better understanding and not some sort of like push button hysterical and sensical response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm kind of going to the whole, I, the moment you mentioned God, you kind of mentioned it, it kind of spirals into kind of a more morality thing. And Zelda is, is kind of on, it's, it's still what it was years ago. in the fact that it's, it's, while it gives you agency, it's still telling like a singular story, right. and it's really the same story it's kind of been telling. Um, with a lot of the <coughs> the kind of you know uh, more modern, uh, especially the RPGs, they uh-huh. tend to they, especially since Mass Effect and stuff, they've tend to gone more of the kind of uh, A and B morality choice. Absolutely. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me say something that will sound like an absolute cop out. Um, <laughs> But it's completely important to me to say it. I don't. I don't even go there because the moral component to me isn't plot related. Uh, it's not. Oh wow, this game makes you, you know, look at the choices of good versus evil. Although I will say there, there are a couple of amazing games. I don't. Have you played Papers, please? Mm-hmm. So you know when I play that game, I was like, holy fuck, this is harrowing. This is like, this is like moral choice, moral quality, like personified, I, I left that game feeling like violated in the absolute best, you know, sense of, of the word. Uh, but but that's, that's not what I mean. What I mean by, by a moral essence, I mean, you can play any game. You can play, you know, uh, Sonic. You can, really, anything. Uh, and just this idea of, I am a being trapped in a world with rules I don't know, trying to assess the limits of my own freedom, uh, of my own will. Um, of the consequences of my actions. Um, to me, that is the real drama. The real drama isn't that the plot allows you, you know, Fallout style to be a good guy or a bad guy. You know? uh, Bioshock is a classic example of that. The, 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 the real drama is the actual experiential uh, thing, uh, you know, the actual experience that happens to you as, as you try to negotiate it, because again, you don't do it with other media. You know, you watch TV and you have, you know, there's this classic example of this classic big TV study. Um, a few researchers from Israel 
looked at families watching in Dallas, you know, the original Dallas. Okay. Um, and they asked him after, they all watched the same episode, and they asked him, okay, what was this episode about? And, you know, rich people said, this is a show about how awesome it is to be rich, because you have all the power, <laughs> and, you know, your wives are hot, and you have awesome cars. And poor people said, this is a morality tale about how money doesn't buy happiness, and rich people have all these problems. And, and TV does that to you. You, you interpret the text, right? You, 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 you understand what it is that you're watching according to your own set of political beliefs. You know, Jack Bauer is uh, the epitome of American arrogance gone awry if you're sort of like a beating hard liberal, and it's the essence of good old American resolve if you're a conservative. Right? This, is, this is like really kind of, you know, communication... Classic, well. classic line breakdown. Right, absolutely. But, but when you play video games... You, you don't have that because you are really not a thinking human subject. You are a person on the couch doing something that's highly physical and ritualistic and, 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 and trance-like. Uh, you are an avatar on the screen. You are some sort of weird third uh, person that is the, the, the amalgamation of these two. Um, and, and you constantly act. You constantly move. You constantly are faced with the consequences of your actions. Uh, you constantly kind of try to ascertain the limits of your free will. You can be playing Mario. These deep, deep, deep questions are what's, are what's going on in the background. Uh, and that's where I'm interested in. I, I, at no point in the book do I even bother with, with the type of, you know, the, the, the increasingly, you said it like the A-B sort of like problem. Because well, especially when you when you break it down when you break it down by just, you know, you're in a world that you don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. You're given a rule set that's not like a hundred percent explained to you. Um, like the very first thing that comes to mind is like Splunky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that, that, that's pure. You are going in, you are not knowing it, you know, it's, it's constantly generated around you. Right. But once you figure out the rules, it's, it's at that point that everything kind of opens up. Right. But uh, before that, you're, you know, you were quite literally walking blind into death possibly hundreds of times. Absolutely. And, 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 and this is the genius of Eagles. I mean, yeah, Spunky is a great example, uh, and I wish I was smart enough to think about it and put it in the book. Uh, <laughs> talk to you guys more often. But, but I think, in, in a sense, every game kind of does that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, you do it. And, and then something even more interesting happens. You know, even once you figure out the rules, you, 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 become, um, you become adept at, at having all these strategies. You know, I have a friend, for example, whose life goal, which I actually believe he achieved, Although it sounds crazy to me that anyone would do that, is to play through the original Mario without collecting a single coin, um, which is amazing and and you know wow. Uh, but once you figure out the rules of, of the world and what does what, uh, that's 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 when you know free will kind of begins to blossom. That's when your sense of agency kind of begins to you know creep out. Uh, that's when the fun begins, and, and I think every good religious system uh, does it more or less the same way. You know, a religious system is really, really bad when it tells you, you know, fuck you, you can't do X, Y, Z, because we said so, and go screw yourself. Uh, that's the kind of religious system that you leave immediately never to come back. A religious system is really, really good when it says, okay, look, we're going to spend some time uh, you know, we're going to send you to Hebrew school, we're going to send you to Sunday school, we're going to send you to, you know, Catholic school, we're going to send you somewhere. We're going to teach you the rules in this really kind of, you know, spunky type of way. You may, you may die a hundred times before right. you, <laughs> you really, really get this thing. 
But then once you do, there will be a lot of room for negotiation. There will be a lot of room for interpretation. There will be a lot of room for transgression. Um, that's when it gets amazingly fascinating. You know, if only, like, if only a quarter of the people thought, <laughs> thought like that, I think we'd be kind of in a much better place. Because I, I, I you, the moment you mentioned, like, you know, somebody going through Mario without um, touching any coins, or you have all of these, uh, you know, like speedrunners or people that do stuff where they try to beat the game without uh, whatever game they're playing without collecting any of the items or as little items as possible that they set these tremendous arbitrary rules on top of the rules that are already presented. And that people kind of, they almost take those more seriously than what's there. And then suddenly they're at the same time, like that they, they're almost allowing expression. They're also, you, you know, you're almost also judged by that expression. And that seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that also do that with religion where they, they take the rules that are always presented, but make some so hard and so so steadfast that they can't they can't see that they've created their own kind of arbitrary trap. Sure. And and, and I think again if if we all understood that, uh, both games and religion uh, would become way more fun. Uh, and, 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 and and not to say unserious, uh, just as serious. But, but but that much more, you know, emotionally meaningful because because then you understand what it is that you're doing. Uh, and and you begin to really love it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say right now that if uh, if Pope Francis were to make Catholic school like Spelunky, he'd probably get a lot more converts. I, I think he's probably you know he's on the cover of Rolling Stone this week. I think he's probably designing a game as we speak. As, as we speak, <laughs> probably he's sitting somewhere in you know California, being like, okay, we need a great app, guys. This is going to be the future. And it's not a joke. I think if there's a medium, and, and this is you know kind of what I what I what I wish you know, more people understood. If, if there is a medium that actually has the potential of of being good, uh, and I mean this 100% seriously, I'm not being glib and I'm not you know being silly. Uh, it's video games. I actually don't think TV or or or, or movies or even books uh, have the capacity to do it because uh, a I think they're more cerebral. Uh, and B, they're much more subjective. Video games is, to me, a medium of mass common joy. Uh, and, and, and it's just something really profoundly good happens to you, or can happen to you, uh, when you're engaged in this plane. And, and I want us to understand it better. Uh, and, and if what I'm saying is even remotely true, uh, then I, I want us to, to make use of it. Yeah. Um, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Um, I I kind of want to go back, uh, kind of jump tracks, um, back to the uh, the game jam you mentioned uh, a sure. while ago. Um, and religion is in some games, uh, generally more in like sci-fi or fantasy games, where you know it's this other thing that's very similar to like a real world one. Um, but a lot of times the like themes of God and themes of spirituality aren't touched in video games. Um, and also I, the opposite's very true. Video games aren't generally discussed in like churches and stuff. And why do you think the 
I don't know. There's such a, a separation between the two. Well, I, I actually disagree with the premise. Um, I think, again, this is this is me running away as far as I can from this notion of plot. But if you look right, right. At, at at what you know, I don't want to say almost every game, but but an exorbitant number of games uh, have an Easter egg in which you could do something and then you find uh, a photograph of the people who designed the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that is, that is I mean, you, you, could, you could read it uh, as, yeah, you know, people worked hard, they want some credit, they want some visibility, don't read too much into it. But to me, there's, 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 there's a, a kind of almost transcendent meaning to it because the players also derive, I think, an immense amount of satisfaction uh, from seeing the creators. Uh, I think there's something profoundly religious in the game, even if we don't deal with religion at all. And again, it, it, it goes, it starts from the same thing uh, of, of, hey, this world has rules, and the first thing that you do is ask why, and how consistent are these rules. That's what every kid sent to Sunday school, you know, does on sort of day one. Uh, you're told some sort of story, and your first question is like, why? You know, why did God save Noah? Now, why can't I eat pork? It's delicious. What do you mean I can't do that? Why do I have to give money to the poor? Um, you know, um, you, you try to, to, to ascertain the, the inner coherence uh, and stability of, of, of the rule system. Uh, and, and, and really good games do it in really, really uh, sort of mythical ways. Uh, and really, really bad games do it by cramming down your throat. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, the religious element is just present, uh, even if the game itself doesn't have have anything. Uh, I, I'll answer your question. I do apologize, by the way. I'm going to have to run off a little bit because I see my wife making angry faces uh, at, at me <laughs> right. uh, over a dinner that's sort of getting uh, more congealed uh, and cold, as we speak. Um, but to me, the question that you asked about why uh, aren't more you know people interested in sitting off their names? This is this is kind of one of the great challenges that that I think we we all have to face because that is a that is a huge shame. I really don't think that there's any tool that um, that explains the the these issues uh, in in such a way precisely because. Again, it's an experiential medium, and I, I, I go back to papers, please. If you want to understand sort of like the, the, the amazingly uh, uh, towering decision that you have to make in situations where absolute evil prevails and you need to decide whether or not you do good, uh, which has been a very, and remains a very key theme of, of you know, uh, human history, um, you could read a book about it, and you would walk away with some intellectual feeling. You could read a, a movie, you could watch a movie about it. You walk away with some sort of feeling like, oh, I, I, I would do better than this character in the mm-hmm. same situation. But then you play papers, please. You're like, holy fuck, I am sitting behind a desk and I'm stamping these papers, and these people are begging to be let through. And my kid would starve if I say yes, but but their kid would starve if I say no. And I'm not thinking it or analyzing it. I'm fucking feeling it. Uh, and so, and so, to me, that if we have any chance uh, for for heightened uh, moral sensitivities, it's probably going to be in a video game. 
Yeah, I've never felt bad after watching a, a book uh, or reading a book or watching a, a television show. I often feel terrible after doing bad things in a video game. So, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Listen, the, 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 the airport massacre in, um, in Russia in, um, was it Call of Duty? Two. Two? Three? I think, one, one I think of those. it was two. No, that, um, was a, that, was, that was Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, the, the, the Russian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was devastated by this. This 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 left me completely for like two days. I was like, I cannot fucking believe I did this. And and I tried to actually negotiate. The first time I played it, I walked around. I was like, I understand what's happening. I've been to this airport. It actually looks exactly like it. It's fucking creepy. I'm not shooting. Like I'm just going to walk and get to the end of this thing. This thing is harrowing because I'm doing it. And some level, I am doing it. Mm-hmm. They uh, there's a real great parallel there too to. Uh... Um, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, so one where they were in the desert. It's very recent. Um, crap, I can't even Black remember Ops the name. Two? Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. it's not a COD game. It was oh, a third sorry. person shooter. Um, that it was kind of on oh, everyone's Spec Ops. Spec Ops. Spec Ops. The line, line where there was. Uh, I I was listening to the developer interview, and uh, there's a, a point in the game where you are you were basically forced to fire on civilians, right? And yeah. that there was it, people who actually got to that point that that you know he wanted them to feel not only that, but to know that to put down the controller was also a choice, right? And that was also something that you could that you could choose to do that if you if you were that uncomfortable with it that that was a valid choice at that point. And and where where else are you going to get that type of exactly? You know, that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Well, uh, I know you need to go, Leo. Uh, but do you have about five minutes just to answer a couple more uh, questions? Let, let, let or, it be okay. I think you, we're. Are you sure? Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's absolutely. skip like the the protagonist. Let's just. Let's cut straight to the, the juicy ones, Brian. Yeah. Although you were kind of feeding out. I hear you, I hear you metallically and sporadically. <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump right to, the, to our end game here. Um, like we said earlier, it's a, it's a little bit of a questionnaire. Um, I based it off of the um, uh, James Lipton, the questionnaire he does at the end of the uh, actor studio. <laughs> so, so you're going you're gonna to say, I want to talk to Mario. That's right. Kind of. We'll get to that. Um, the first question: um, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Um, Donkey Kong. Okay. Nice. A, a pure uh, angry id, a pure raging monkey. I love it. So, wait, Donkey Kong from the original, or from like Donkey Kong Land and Country? Uh, you know what the, the the original? Although I think one of the geniuses of Country is that it actually preserves a lot of the characters' real, you know, emotional urges. Sure. So, who's your favorite? Uh, flipping the coin, who's your favorite antagonist? Who's your favorite bad guy? Um, that is a very difficult question for me to answer. Um, I uh, just keeping with the Nintendo. Theme. Um, I, I'm almost tempted to say Ganondorf uh, because even though repetitive, there is something uh, deeply non-trivial and non-cartoonish uh, about his evilness. Uh, you know, there's something that feels he's no Bowser. You know, he's not a bad guy, uh, and and he's <laughs> no kind of like just you know like the kind of weirdo sort of Final Fantasy type bad guys that you would see. That's just like too mystical and and 
entangled to to be meaningful. There's something sort of like real, sort of like 1930s movies, bad monster about him that I that I like. I'll probably have a better answer if I thought about it for for a bit, but for some reason that's the first thing that jumps to mind. Sure, oh, great answer. All right. Um, God does play video games. What's his favorite? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't hear. Do you want to repeat the question? Yeah, I said, uh, I said, I said, we know for a fact that God plays video games. What's his favorite? Um, Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm sorry. It's probably Tetris. It's probably. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I like, can go with that as a yeah. as a game that's almost as perfectly designed as it can be. Uh, Tetris, yeah. yes, Tetris still yeah. will capture you and, and keep you there line after line. He probably plays Candy Crush for oh. you know, millennia on end. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you had the chance to try any other profession, what would you like to give a shot to? Um, I would love to be a rapper. Deeply. Uh, profoundly, uh, that that was the other big childhood dream that I had the good sense of realizing that <laughs> I lack I lack every imaginable skill to even try and pull off. Uh, but I, I would still love to. I love that answer. I look at nice. someone like Action Bronson. You know, Action Bronson looks like me. He's a three hundred and fifty pound, you know, big fat Jewish guy who likes cooking. Uh, that gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's, All right, fi- that is final the best question. answer to that question. Absolutely. That, that I love that it. answer. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, final question. Um, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad greets us and looks over the book of our deeds, what do you want him to say to you? I know what he's going to say to me. <laughs> he's going to say, I'm afraid your princess is in another castle. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I want him to say to me? Yeah. Um, I, I want him not to have to say anything. Uh, I, I, I want, I want it to be one of those games that ends and you feel peace. Um, you know, that you don't feel, uh, frustration at any sort, but you know what? It will be really nice to have my name somewhere prominent in the high score list, uh, (laughs) if at all possible. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank, thanks so much, man, for talking with us. Guys, this has absolutely, been it is, absolute treat. It, it has indeed. If you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out uh, more about uh, God of the Machine and uh, when and where they can uh, buy it. Sure. Uh, uh, God of the Machine, available on, uh, on an Amazon near you, uh, February 25th, I believe. Awesome. Sounds good. I, I look forward to uh, to it being released. It's something that I, I have a lot of interest in, so I, I look forward to that. So thank you once again, and have a good night. Thanks, guys. You too. It's been a treat. Enjoy your dinner, man. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>